Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host here for NFL in the game, joined by former NFL linebacker Brady Papinga, BYU Cougar, and proud resident of the state of California, where it's much nicer than where I am. How are you, Brady? You know, I'm doing great. And I was actually in your neck of the woods this last week, Matt, for Thanksgiving. We went up to Plymouth, Massachusetts. To wow. the Rhode Island, New York area, and I was able to uh, get a taste test of how that East Coast kind of late fall, early winter starts to feel. And I'll tell you, when you get close to the Atlantic, it gets a little cold. <laughs> a little nipply, yes it does. And uh, did you get to go out to the Rock? Did you go see Plymouth Rock if you were that close? Yeah, I saw the enormous Plymouth Rock. <laughs> I'm being facetious. <laughs> it's they right, chiseled right. down, and apparently, from what the natives were telling me up there, that it's not even the real rock, but at least it's a symbol of the launching, or I should say, the landing spot of the pilgrims who came in to settle the uh, the Western world, you could say. But I did. I was. There's a really cool little, uh, you could say, historical monument that surrounds the rock and it's laid in the uh, beach there, and uh, was able to see that, and also was able to go to the what they call Pilgrim Plantation, where they show go. the life as was lived by the natives back in the day, and then also the pilgrims as they settled in and how those two worlds fused together at that point in time in history. Well, actually, life as a as a pilgrim uh, was sort of how it was for us initially in old Foxborough Stadium. <laughs> no amenities, <laughs> just eating, uh, you know, from a... I don't, I'm being sarcastic here, but yeah, I mean, life's gotten a lot better around here in New England in the recent past, so that's that's a good thing. Uh, we're going to dive in today and, and, and steer a little bit away from some of the big matchups. We'll, we'll sort of get to that at the end of the show, but I wanted to lead with some stuff that we've been talking about, writing about on the website. You particular hit on this topic. We had sort of some dropping news just recently that... We all knew uh, the Johnny Manziel story from a week ago where he had some issues on his his, his bye week and you know, you know the reportedly being dishonest with the coach staff and all that kind of stuff. We don't want to dive into all that, but it is what it, it is. What it is. They, 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 they sat him down for a week, made him the third string quarterback. Now, this week's news is that Johnny's going to remain the backup even after Josh McCown has been put on IR with a shoulder injury. So Austin Davis, who we actually – out of left field wrote about a year ago when he came and filled in real nicely for the Rams. Uh, Austin Davis was given an extension by the Browns back in September, a little two-year bump, which is nice and slightly surprising considering the makeup of that roster. McCown being the sort of de facto starter right now while they're trying to bring Manziel up to speed. 
and we're in an oddball situation this week where Mike Pettin has said, you know what, uh, considering that off the field situation, we're still out of the punishment of that seems to be still ongoing. Uh, and we really want to get a longer look at Austin Davis. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're going to do. Uh, you wrote today, uh, excuse me, well, Thursday, excuse me, about the about this shouldn't be read necessarily as uh, any indication of Johnny's future. Could you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing here is that if you were looking to move on from Johnny, with where he's at right now, his value is rock bottom. And so basically, teams aren't going to give up anything for Johnny because they feel like, hey, if you're going to cut him right now or release him or at least attempt to trade him, you're basically going to just have to you're going to have to part ways with them regardless or eventually. And so if you're a team like I brought up the Dallas Cowboys that would have liked to right. potentially have drafted Johnny Mazel, especially if you talked to John, uh, Jerry Jones, they would probably be in the market. But them being savvy businessmen themselves would wait around and say, okay, you're not playing the guy. We know where he stands. We know that there's off-the-field issues with him. We know that he's even struggled at times on the field, and he had some bright spots against the Pittsburgh Steelers a couple weeks ago. But that's it. That's not enough to really say, hey, we're going to give you some assets in exchange for this right. guy. And we don't believe that you're going to keep him. If, in fact, you're going to have him on the bench the whole time. And so it's it's one of those kind of games to where you're basically looking at the behavior of the team and you're saying that, yeah, they're they're going to keep him because if not, they would be looking, because the Browns know this stuff too, they would be looking to somehow pump up his value. And the best way to do that wouldn't be to sit him, would be to put him out on the field, let him just sort of, sort of stay on this trajectory that he has been on, like I brought up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, to where now his – his value, it, it hopefully, if from the Browns' perspective, would rise to the point to where a team like the Cowboys would say, okay, we'll, we'll trade assets for him. But since that's not the case, I highly doubt that they're looking to move him, and this is a lesson to be learned for him, and they're teaching him accountability, and they know how talented he is. I believe they're excited about him and the prospects in the future about what he can do, but then at the same time, they know that they have to rein him in and they have to live, keep him accountable so that he is becoming what they wanted to become, which is the face of the franchise. And the face of the franchise can't go around and, you know, give the give a bad name to the franchise like, like we all would suspect right. that would mean. And so I would say everything right now indicates that they're looking to keep him. And uh, starting Austin Davis is uh, goes right along with their plans. I really wanted to bring this guy in and corral him in. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because of the way sort of uh, cap structure has changed in the NFL now, especially with the rookie the rookie salary cap. Uh, a guy like Johnny Menzel, even if you were of the mind that they had screwed up on the pick, right? And, and I'm 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 still fencish because I do remember the Steelers' performance. Uh, I'm I, I'm let's just say I'm a fence guy on that anyway. But the the point of this is, if you felt like you screwed up, you're not in a Jamarcus Russell kind of situation, especially since he wasn't the top of the first round pick either. But still, the if you're wrong, you, you still have a care an asset that you can carry forward for the life of that four year contract and not hurt yourself too tremendously anyway. I mean, of course you want the quarterback. That's why you use the pick, but if you don't have it, I think a, a, if Johnny Manziel ends up being a reliable backup quarterback, obviously that's an error. Obviously you didn't get what you wanted, but 
that comes at about the rate of what a backup quarterback is these days. You look at guys like Matt Castle, uh, you know, guys that Mark Sanchez, I think, makes about five million a year. Uh, you know, those the, the veteran backup quarterback that's a very, very important insurance piece, those cost about what they're holding you know, Johnny for. Now, obviously, they want more out of Johnny, but it, it's interesting to me that they go this route with Austin Davis because his two-year extension is pretty modest. I think it hits it a little under $2 million a year. So if they hit on that and they have a guy that they trust that could be their going forward backup, they have a little bit of leverage with Johnny. It's like he, you use the term carrot in the, in, the, in the column, and I like that in that he sort of exists as a motivational piece. It's like he could, be, he could be you, Johnny, if Johnny doesn't get his act together, and then they could go out and try to get a veteran uh, free agent quarterback if they wanted another McCown kind of fill in for a year or two kind of situation, or if the record's bad enough, they could be drafted high and get a new one. But it's just this idea of sort of chess pieces that I think sometimes fans miss out on that, that we're very comfortable with as, or I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but we're very acclimated to as players. I, I remember being on bad teams and a lot of these kinds of decisions are made in December and uh, you, you, you know, the locker room chatter gets going about, you know, is this guy really oh, yeah. playing because he's better or are they just taking a longer look at him? And you're having sort of the side conversations with your position coaches. It's like, what are you guys doing? You know what I mean? And they'll be like, no, this is this is more trying to make a decision for next year's roster, because if they determine in the next few weeks, it just ain't working out, you know, that that'll help expediate the offseason decision but they don't want to not know so they want to take the look so it's just it's always becomes a lot very very complicated and I understand so sort of the 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 impulse to want to say Johnny's done you know but I, I don't I, I agree with you that I think that's a little far off and maybe even more importantly than who their quarterback's going to be because Mike Pettin's had you know another disappointing season I think a biggest issue for him might be just keeping control of the locker room you don't want to you know you don't want to get a situation oh, yeah. where Guys have uh, don't believe in what you're doing. Think you're inconsistent. Think you're giving Johnny a pass. It became public what happened. You want to make sure that you know something else that's of a much lower profile happens in the locker room isn't treated the same way. And hey, you get to start Johnny just because the guy that shouldn't have been in there blew his shoulder out, you know. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I I do think it's an interesting question. It'll be something that maybe you and I could talk about a week or two from now. We see how how things turn. Uh, switching here to another topic that you've wrote on, actually, we're, we're going two for two here on stuff that you've touched on during the season on footballbyfootball.com is this issue of really where where things are in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of riding the roller coaster. I think that's in part why we do football by football. But yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, who I've heard called Chip Kelly a genius that now think he's a buffoon. And I, I think that it's never one or the other, you know, right. It's probably somewhere in the middle. He's sure. made mistakes. He's not perfect. Uh, where do you sit on sort of where that offense might potentially go? Is that, you know, would you be of the mind if you were a part of that organization to start looking elsewhere, or is this a situation to just sort of ride this ship out, let him get his people in uh, somehow make this system work? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, is what he's a genius at is, is at his own system. And right now his system isn't working. And the reason why it isn't working is twofolded, in my opinion. First, it's that they have a lot of new pieces that they added in the offseason. DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, Sam Bradford, just to name a few. Then they lost Jeremy Macklin to the Kansas City Chiefs. 
And so you have these new pieces in place, and they're trying to figure out their roles. You know, with DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, essentially they both come from a situation where they're premier backs. Now they have to share the load, but then how do they do that? What if they get hot? You know, there's all these unknowns. Then you have the most crucial position with Sam Bradford that's trying to adjust to this new scheme. Sam has been spotty at best this year, and it's been pretty much his whole career he's been like that, even his rookie year. You know, he, he did have a record-breaking rookie year, which – he threw for the most yards ever by a rookie, then that was broken, uh, I believe, by Newton, and then uh, Andrew Luck holds that record currently. But still, he's been probably the biggest reason why they haven't had a lot of offensive consistency, and that's how that offense, or I should say that team, is built. Because what you're seeing now with their defense, because they've had to defend so many snaps, and, and more than snaps, just so much time, they defended more time than any team or defense in the NFL, they're wearing out. They're starting to shut down. And not physically or not emotionally, but actually not emotionally or psychologically, but physically they are. And that is due to the fact that the offense has been so inconsistent to where now that defense is having to face a lot more stress and more stressful situations. And then the second, you could say, thing behind this is he really needs a mobile quarterback to complement right. his own running that they have. And, What's really interesting to me is, yeah, you add Sam Bradford to the equation. You only lock him up to a one-year deal. But now you've got potentially this next offseason guys like RG3 and Colin Kaepernick available as long, you know, as long as the 49ers, which I wouldn't see it, foresee them doing, is moving on from Colin Kaepernick's current deal, which they can't. And now you've got yourself guys that have that experience, that have that ability to really take that offense to the level that he always intended it to be played at. And then on top, you know, on the top of that too, you got you got to recognize that there's going to be ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. And right now they're in a valley. I mean, the guy has start off two seasons winning 20 games in his first two years. I mean, how many new coaches pull that off? In his first year, he goes to the playoffs. You know, and so I mean, he is still really good at what he does. The system still works. The bottom line, it comes down to getting the players that he currently has that are new, comfortable in the system, molding together. And then finding that real mobile quarterback, because to me, Sam Bradford's not the answer there. I think that's been established. Right. I think at best he's a good backup, a guy that could come in and, and just spell your starter for a little bit. But they really need a, a mobile quarterback. And to me, you add a mobile quarterback, like especially Colin Kaepernick, he would be my priority if I'm the, the Eagles. That offense, in my opinion, becomes scary. It becomes one of those deals to where you're picking your poison. And uh, and we, as we saw in 2012, I believe it was, when Kaepernick took over the starting job for the San Francisco 49ers. That's how that defense or that offense was. It was difficult to defend, almost led them to a Super Bowl victory. Yeah, I, I wonder about that offense in that uh, – let me nitpick here a little bit. Some of the stuff that I've – you know, and actually in full, full disclosure here, we're, the Patriots are playing the Eagles this week, so that's who I've been studying. Uh, I watched the Thanksgiving game like a lot of people, and, and I think a bigger issue, a side issue beyond just the – the uh, scheme stuff is they look like I hate calling teams quitters or guys quitters. I don't know if quits the right word, but the effort looked poor in a lot of situations. It just looked like they got down on this weird Thursday game and they just kind of packed it in. And that's, it was, it was tough to watch. I mean, the second half of that Detroit game was just good Lord. What are we yeah, watching here? And, and, and that, that to me is frustrating. So I would hold that sort of as an aside, but again, I don't think you make, big giant organizational decisions off of one game. I think it'd be silly. But the one thing that you highlighted in the offseason, actually this is a separate column, but leading into the season talking about how DeMarco Murray would be a great fit up there. 
the one thing I, and you talked about sort of almost as like a dive runner, like a guy that hits it quick, gets downhill and can make his lateral cuts, but on the other side of the line of scrimmage, I've been really frustrated watching the Eagles and too many plays where I swear to God, the guy's running sideways. Like he, he you got to stretch it eight oh, yeah, yards no until he finally gets to make his first downhill cut. And that's the kind of play that I, I, I watched the same highlights from, from Oregon that everyone else did in a lot of those old games. And that play would gash people because he would stretch, stretch, stretch. And then when the gap opens, guy makes one cut, runs through the secondary, goes for 60 yards and no one touches him. And that was part of the sort of genius thing. I don't think his his stretch lateral running stuff is the best thing in his genius arsenal. I think there's a ton of cool formational stuff, pulling centers, uh, movement with the two tight ends, uh, the read option element of it. But his sideways running game, I, I've, I've seen enough of it to think that doesn't work here. Uh, you need to get DeMarco Murray going downhill <laughs> in a hurry. And he's very effective in that. But the thing you I'm glad you've touched on, I love that you made the point, is just fit. I thought there is an ego element to Chip. And again, he's uh, he's a UNH sort of legend up here at University of New Hampshire. That's where he was was before he went out to Oregon. And the one thing I the one thing that I think has gotten him in a little bit of trouble is thinking that anyone could pull his system and that he could run his system with anyone. Uh, you mentioned the Sam Bradford thing. I just it just doesn't look right. You know, I, I, Sam looks no, like a guy that needs exactly. needs to be under center with a fullback. You know, so it, it's sort of that. I, I hate people call him arrogant. I, I just think he's confident. I don't like the arrogance of it, the arrogance angle, but just it, this particular decision feels like a little overconfidence and that I can make any guy work in this. I don't think any guy works in this because as a defender, there's not much threat back there that he's going to pull it and do anything with it. So it, it really cuts out half of the things you're trying to do. Um, anyway, it'll be interesting to see where this thing turns. I, I think if you're a Patriots fan, and I know that's a big, big chunk of our, our listenership, there, uh, you probably couldn't get a better team this week to try to bounce back with a depleted <laughs> roster. They're, they're, re- they're really trying to find themselves. And as much as I was pumping up, actually, the Philly defense uh, about three or four weeks ago, the front four was playing exceptional. Carwin, uh, Connor Barwin was all over the place. Uh, it just they, they they looked really really good to me, and I thought they were onto something. But they've kind of gone in the tank. So see where that thing turns. So I'm as I'm kind of looking ahead here to the next weekend. Let's talk about another sort of uh, a dual threat kind of guy, uh, the Carolina Panthers. Now, it's something that we've written about a lot on the site. Uh, it, they now have this uh, probably what is the biggest upset of the season, the mantle of the last undefeated team left in, in professional football. Uh, what have you seen from that team that you like? And is it sort of December? Uh, is, it, is it the kind of team that can weather what comes now in December? I do believe so. I mean, they're a team, and the schedule lines up for them. And they face the, the Falcons twice, the Giants, and the Buccaneers. Those are all winnable games for them to where they could really run the table, go 16-0, and and be looking at the playoffs as the number one seed without a blemish on the schedule. I mean, that's legitimately the case with them. But they're so balanced. And the thing that right. surprised me, and I rewrote about this earlier on in the season, when Kelvin Benjamin went down, I thought, okay, now teams are going to load the box. They don't have the wide receiving weapons or at least the weapons on the edge to really make teams respect any of their vertical passing game. And Cam Newton, he always seemed a little to me like, you know what, he was a runner. He was streaky when he threw the ball, but he wasn't a guy that could go back there and just pick defenses apart, right, or throw guys open. Right. And that just hasn't been the case this year. This guy, he's looked good on all fronts, right. whether running the ball, throwing the ball. I mean, against Dallas, the guy was precision 
I mean, it was very impressive to watch him just throw it. He didn't hardly even run the read option very much, and maybe a couple plays here and there, but it was just him in the pocket. And it, the Dallas Cowboys defense, he was pretty good. They're not you know, a bunch of slappies that you just find on the sidewalk. I mean, that's a good defense. And so they can throw the ball. They can run it, obviously, with Cam and Jonathan Stewart. I mean, Jonathan Stewart is such a bowling ball. I mean, he's so – you know I mean? He's powerful, but he hides behind those big – offensive line he's able to find holes and he's able to hit them and he's tough to bring down wears defenses out and then they found someone i think jericho cotry is a guy that seems like in every third down along situation defenses just tend to forget about him he's like one of those kind of possum players it just sort of you know right. melds into the background and all of a sudden appears in open space and cam finds it for a huge gator i mean so they got it rolling on offense and in defense holy smokes they are as just as complete as they are on offense in terms of Running and throwing the ball, they're just as complete on the defense in terms of stopping the run and then playing in space as a, a secondary unit. Josh Norman, you know, he's the best cornerback right now in the NFL. Then Luke Keekley, the guy put on a clinic of how to play to pass against the Dallas right. Cowboys. I don't know if you saw that clear out where they ran, they ran a, uh, the tight end up the seam and then they ran a dig route trying to, they, the, the Cowboys anticipated the Tampa 2 defense to where the Mike linebacker in this case. Luke Keekley, he's got to run the middle. They were hoping right. that that vertical route up right. the seam would have would have cleared him out. And he read that dig route so much so that he was waiting for the ball for Tony Romo to get to him. <laughs> and he was literally—I mean, it was—it was—it was that impressive. I was like, man, I mean, how do you? Because I mean, if he if he doesn't jump that route and Tony waits maybe a tenth of a second, right? And he sees, oh, Luke right. Keekley's jumped that dig route. Oh, I'm going to the deep guy. I'm going to the guy who's splitting the safeties. But he he timed it up so well and, and and instinctively played it so well, and then he followed that up with another interception. So the point is, what I see with the Carolina Panthers is is right now the most complete team in the NFL. They play the well run and pass the ball, both sides of the ball, extremely well, and they, they look really tough to beat. Yeah, the thing I like about Keekley, and he, he's obviously a hot topic up here in the Northeast where I'm doing this, you know, where I'm recording from. He uh, he's a BC kid, and and I I love to watch him. You know, I'm from I I'm from Iowa. You know, I went to school in South Dakota. A bunch of guys that have no real connection here. Uh, a lot of my friends are Bears fans, Vikings fans. So they talk about Singletary <laughs> and and you know Erlacher, and those are the kind of guys from <laughs> oh, that yeah. era that they really watch and they really enjoy. It's been fun for me to get my old linebacker buddies from college. Uh, watching weekly games about Carolina, and this is always this has always been kind of a topic throughout the the years I was in the NFL, and even since I've left. Like, well, who's the best one, Chatham? You know, who who do you really think's the best linebacker out there? And I was always, you know, I always had a ton of respect for guys like Zach Thomas, obviously Ray Lewis, Erlacher during the time I was playing. Sure. London Fletcher is a different kind of player, but a very effective guy. Obviously, uh, my my teammate Teddy Bruschi was right in that conversation as well. You know, just a lot of those guys that had the instinct could thump but could also really separate from blocks and really play all over the field. Keekley's so fun to watch because his anticipation's pretty good, so he's a pretty good first step guy. But he's not a huge dude. This guy is a 240 guy. You know, he's not like, you know, a two. Yeah. this isn't LeVon Kirkland or this isn't like even like Brandon Spikes where a guy that, you know, just thumps and blows sure. up blockers. He has to separate and still get through traffic. His balance uh, is is really is freaky. It's it's just the his ability to not get sort of latched on by these giant guards and centers, still make it through the wash, be a great flow player, be a great coverage guy, as you mentioned, where his instincts have been pretty solid back there as well 
it's really the complete package. I have a hard time putting many linebackers out in front of him. Uh, the only issue I guess he's had is he missed a couple games this year, and that's not usually his, his thing. But, uh, man, he's fun to watch. Uh, let's move here down sort of the schedule of what we got coming up. And I think one of the things that, that has been one of the more undersold stories of the season, because I think we do this in the NFL. I don't, I don't know if, if, if it hits you guys as much out there on the West coast, but we, the way we, I think it consume media out here is, is most of the storylines get sort of cemented in the first couple months. And if you're bad in, in September, October, you're bad in most people's mind and they've forgotten about you as we head into December. Right now, the Houston Texans are a team that in my head, I had probably done that exercise I just mentioned. I, I wrote them off. <laughs> you know, I stopped paying attention to them. They, oh, yeah. I, I watched them on primetime a couple times. And they just they look bad. So I'm, you know, kind of done with you, uh, just because there's you know only there's only thirty there's thirty two teams out there. There's a lot of stuff to keep track of, and you see them just put a couple stinkers out, fall behind in the standings, and you just there's other things to concentrate on. They've been really good the last several weeks and, and starting to beat not dogs. They're beating good teams or at least, you know, stopping good offenses. What do you like about that Houston Texans defense? Uh, and really, are they a legitimate sort of contender here? I'm just talking back into the playoffs getting kind of thing. Uh, but they remember they're in that really weak division with the Colts who are kind of just teetering themselves at the top. Yeah, I mean, they're a team that, I mean, come on, they lost to the Dolphins. And it wasn't even close. The game was over in the first half. It was like I think I think it was forty, if I'm not mistaken, forty something to zero in the first half, and it, it was, was a insane, disaster. Yeah. And then off, yeah. And then after that, they ripped off four or yeah, four victories in a row. And their defense has done a nice job of keeping teams out of the end zone. I mean, they they gave up six points to the Titans. They gave up only six points to the Bengals. If you remember that Monday night game, it was a shocker to everybody. Yes, you know, and exactly. The Bengals were all upset because the Texans were celebrating. And I mean, that's that to me is one of the most explosive and talented offenses. Talking about the Bengals, and they held, held them to a mere six points. And then the Jets held to seventeen, and then again the Saints to six. I mean, that to me is what defines the defense. You could sit there and go and tell me what the total number of yards the defense gives up, and try to rank defenses that way. I could care less. It comes down to right. what defenses do when you get in position to score, mitigating those big plays. And right now the Houston Texans are doing that as good as anybody, and that's why they're in the position where they find themselves, and they too find themselves in a pretty favorable situation. They play the Bills, which would be tough, up in Buffalo, but then they'll face the Patriots. They'll have that matchup with the Colts, and then they have, I would say, two games that they should win against the Titans and the Jaguars. So they got a favorable schedule ahead of them as they come down the stretch of the season right now. But as long as their defense continues to play the way that they are, and then offensively, just don't mess it up as long as your defense is playing this way. They're going to be a team that could be right in the mix of that AFC South division. Yeah, it's amazing. You hit the nail on the head, and it's amazing that that's accurate, to be, to be honest. As you, <laughs> as you mentioned, in the first it's crazy. Three yeah. games of the season. And trust me, we get we get heat here all the time, and it's one of the more agitating sort of criticisms that, that we hear uh, as far as former Belichick disciples, right? And that they can't do anything yeah. in there unless they're with Bill, right? Like the people always trash Charlie Weiss and people always trash my coach, <laughs> Romeo Cornell, who 
I thought was an exceptional coach, one of the best coaches I ever had, just a really great teacher of the fundamentals and schemes and all those kinds of things. Romeo didn't have good fortune and didn't do well enough. That's part of the game in Cleveland and in Kansas City. And and that's he's running the defense down there in in Houston. And there was a lot of that Boo Bird stuff coming out about, you know, he just can't do it. He should be a D-line coach or whatever, whatever. Well, all of a sudden, that same group that couldn't stop anyone in, in September and October, I think right now is the best defense of football. You meant giving up just six to New Orleans and just six to the Bengals at their place? Good Lord. And the Jets, who'd been hot? I mean, these are ridiculous performances. I think there are other groups out there that are good defensive teams, but that have fallen off a little bit. People are scoring on Seattle right now. They do enough to win, but people are scoring on Seattle. People are scoring on the St. Louis Rams. Even the Cardinals have, have sort of found themselves in different styled games. They're, they're still playing winning football, of course, but out of nowhere, maybe one of the toughest defenses in football is the Houston Texans. So uh, it's so crazy how the NFL turns and you kind of always just have to put the pause button on and wait for these things to play out because things change pretty dramatically. Uh, Sort of heading into kind of our last little segment here as we finish up, is there anything that you sort of see as, as, I don't know how to put this, sort of a, a team in the weeds, a team that might make this December push that right now people aren't talking about, you know, maybe like a New York Giants of years ago that just got hot at the right time or or a team uh, that, that has been doing okay but that can become great and sort of overcome that hurdle. Is there a team out there that's going to really make use of this stretch run and, and be a team to, to contend with in the playoffs? Well, you hit the nail, you know, you hit the nail right on the head and you brought up the team that I've always been a big fan of. And, and if I had a ranking system, because my ranking would always be not up to date, she's the best, of, but who has the best chance of winning the Super Bowl? I would have always had Seattle Seahawks from week one till now as number one. And I look at them right now offensively. I know Jimmy Graham went down with that patella tendon, but, man, they put on a show this last week. They did. Russell Wilson was throwing the ball as precisely, as accurately, and as uh, impressively as I've seen throughout his whole career. And, obviously, they lit up the scoreboard. And so, I, and you complement that with what the running game can do. I mean, they are a team that, like you mentioned, their defense, they are getting giving up, I think, a little too much in terms of points. But they still have the same guys there that can clean things up, tighten things down, and really put together a dominant performance. And so I still look at them as a team that right now, if they, are, if they get hot, and meaning they tighten up their defense and they continue to play the way they're on offense, they have – the guys already, and we've seen it with past performances, whether they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago or or a play away from doing so this last year that had that ability to, to win it all. And to me, that's the Seattle Seahawks. They have experience. They have the talent. They got the speed. They got the power. They're the team right now that's right there sitting in the weeds. And I believe this last week they actually, if the playoffs did start today, qualified in one of those wild card positions so uh, they're looking like a team that's really primed to make a run here in the last stretch of the season. So I I agree with you in that I've I've sort of become hardened over the years. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens used to do that to us. Uh, I'm saying more working in this market than when playing there, where you kind of stop paying attention to the to the to the struggles that they'd have because you believed in the coaching staff, you believed in the majority of the personnel that was there that you knew could eventually figure it out. And you just sit there and hope they don't 
figure it out that they will get better. And oddly <laughs> enough, yeah. Seattle is, I think Seattle sits in that world with Rawls. They've actually had, you know, not even had a drop off in production, not having Marshawn Lynch and now yeah. not having Jimmy Graham. And it doesn't really seem to matter, which is, which is, it's weird to say that it, it feels somehow wrong to have that opinion, but I don't see any evidence otherwise. And all of a sudden Doug Baldwin looks like yeah. the, the most uh, one of the most prolific uh, pass catchers in football. I mean, he's had I think he's had the biggest two weeks or three weeks stretch, something like that, in the NFL. And and it's interesting wow. because he's not he's not like he's now getting open more than he did before. I just think Russell Wilson's cleaned up some of his own reads, some of his own sort of ability to get the ball out of his hand. Doug Baldwin is a really sure. tough guy to evaluate because he's out there, you know, running around, maybe getting open, not being seen, and then having to do recess to get his four or five targets a game. Well, well, now Russell is is doing a better job. He's playing a lot better. He's finding him earlier. He's finding him in pattern and. I think that makes them a, a pretty dangerous team. My team, the one that I would go to, uh, and this is speculative because there's a there's a decent chance that they may not be in in a wild card spot. But where they sit now at five and six, I'm just looking at more of the upside of this team. I go Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the reason I do this is there's they they I've watched them a lot in the last few weeks, and kind of. I'm 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 warming to Jameis Winston. I'm warming to sort of the pieces he has around. And they had a bad week last week, so this is probably not the best time to be having this conversation. But their defense has been playing better, <laughs> and that and that sure. happens a lot. So I think they have a bad week, and all of a sudden you're you're sort of done with them for a, a couple. But because of the growth that I've seen Jameis make, and because the, he hasn't had Vincent Jackson with him for most of the season. And he hasn't had Safarian. I always screw this name up, so we'll just make up the pronunciation. Safarian Jenkins or whatever that tight end's name is. The big tall dude from Washington. Somewhere in that range. He hasn't played. I I think he's still probable or or questionable again for this week. They still haven't activated him yet for his first time. But the combination of Doug Martin, who's been a very good runner for them and actually getting touches out of the backfield in the passing game, having Mike Evans, Vincent Jackson now uh, another weekend to to returning to action, and Jameis all of a sudden looking like a super dangerous red zone quarterback, a guy that was never the fastest guy. We don't call him a running quarterback because he's not really. But when he has to pull it down, he's dangerous. And his decision-making has been better than I thought. He still has had some dogs for games. He has. And that last week they struggled actually in the red zone and didn't finish some drives off and, and didn't pull off a victory I think they should have against a not great defense. But I, I still look at them as one that might be able to pull this together. Uh, I, I've seen quotes out of out of Tampa from my old teammate Logan Wh- Mankins and having some of those veteran guys that might have at one moment thought, what the hell am I doing down here on this team that's going nowhere? <laughs> so, so all of a sudden being the guys that I think are rallying people around and realizing, you know what, guys, we're pretty talented. We can pull this thing together. Uh, I think the beauty they have is they're not really chasing the Panthers. They put themselves so far out in front of the world. There's no real stress to win that division anymore. It's just to get themselves to a point where they have the best ne- next best sort of record. So you're you're fighting against maybe the Redskins or you know Atlanta potentially or some one of one another one of these sort of guys on the outside. But because the NFC is is a little little bit beat up you know who knows where the Packers are going your old team uh you know the Cardinals are out in front of them actually the Seahawks were mentioning they're probably going in as a wild card unless something dramatic changes there in the west so I have a feeling the Bucks will be in the conversation they may not pull it off but uh, it's a team that even in the event that they don't 
I think there's somebody to maybe look forward to or look out for next season. I, I really like sort of their complement of players and looks like Jameis is a pretty good leader. All right, buddy, what do you got this weekend? Are you, you working a game or any, uh, any fa- plans of the family, anything like that? Oh, was, uh, no, this weekend is going to be pretty, pretty relaxed. You know, I uh, called the game a couple weeks ago up in Oregon between USC and Oregon. And then following that, I called the, uh, uh, the Eagles Lions game on Fox Deportes on Thanksgiving. So I've had two really oh, nice. busy weeks having traveled back to the uh, eastern part of the country. Now I get to be back home. And so this week we'll just be covering uh, college football on Saturday uh, with Fox Sports Radio uh, called the uh, uh, the college football show there from right. it's 1 to 5 Pacific time. That's 4 to 8 uh, Eastern time, and then on Sunday I'm going to do an NFL show from two to five Pacific time, five to eight Eastern time, covering NFL games. So we're going to keep it well, chill, stay much. home, and relax. There you go. There's a lot of arithmetic for me. I'm really bad with the time change stuff, but uh, sounds like yeah, uh, I, 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 I didn't we were doing. <laughs> I didn't realize you had done the uh, the Eagles Lions game there for Deportes. That's that's interesting. Uh, it would have been great to hear some of those Spanish swear words or whatever when it was going yeah, bad for the Eagles. We don't. We got. We got. Yeah, we have the SEC too that we have to comply with. Although one time on a local radio station, I did throw out a Spanish swear word that made the radio waves, and the listeners loved it. And then as soon as they found out that I'd sworn in Spanish, the whole radio station freaked out because they knew that it was against uh, or whatever. That's hilarious. It's all part of the deal. Stuff happens. All right, man, have a great weekend. I've got uh, James Madison and Colgate. I've got the Toothpaste University right. this weekend. FCS playoffs have begun. And- oh, nice, man. FCS playoffs have begun. This is the second round, so we can travel to Virginia. A little, little warmer there. It's not quite Cali, but uh, it should be fun. All right, man. Thanks for the awesome insight. Have a great weekend. Take care. You too, man. Good touch. That's all we've got for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff like from guys like Brady Papenga, Brady Quinn, Stanford Route, all these guys that work for the site, Rocky Boyman, make sure to check out that footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.